This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. If you're a Republican, you have to be very, very happy with the way night one went on this uh, four-day extravaganza to get momentum back uh, in this race as we get set for November 3rd. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. I appreciate everyone being there. This is going to be a big hour. I want to hear from you about what you thought took place last night and how effective the messaging was. Uh, We're going to be uh, having Alan West at the bottom of the hour, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. He's star of uh, one of the stars and one of the major players in this uh, documentary called Uncle Tom, African-Americans and why they are affiliated with the Republican Party. Herman Cain was on that. And you had uh, you had another one, Colonel West. And I have not seen it yet, but I'm about to. And the reason why I bring that up is because that's what's trending on Twitter now. It's one of the words trending on Twitter because people uh, that you see, like Vernon Jones, a Democrat from uh, Georgia, uh, people like Herschel Walker, people like Senator Tim Scott and others came out and showed, as well as Nikki Haley, a diverse background, and showed what Donald Trump is really like, that he's not a racist. You could sit there and say Charlottesville and misportray what happened there over and over again. That's not what he's like. And people don't like that message. Also, law and order was pretty clear. And also his accomplishments were out there uh, for people to judge, as well as what really happened. And even though we're living it and not through it yet during the launch of coronavirus, a pandemic, which is once in a generation and a half, people are already changing how it started, what was done and what was said. So the little thing called facts have snuck in. So we have a busy hour, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What is the cost of a first-class postage stamp? 55 cents. Just wanted to check. What about to mail a postcard? Uh, I don't don't know, ma'am. You don't know the cost to mail a postcard? (laughs) I don't. Unbelievable. This is how stupid this was. Mail-in voting mayhem. The House hearing with Postmaster General was a mix of incompetence and anger and an unhinged comment from Speaker Pelosi about the whole process and how Trump has helped her lose her sense of decency. She has been out of her mind for the last year and a half. The takeaways for me are coming your way. Number two. And as Rachel reflected, some of the real American people that you're seeing have been people who are are disgraced, not people that people rally around like the St. Louis couple or the young man from Cuff Cath who interacted with the elder Native American in D.C. Really? That's a little scary. Predictably, the Democrats show their disdain for the Republican National Convention. But astute observers are seeing the divide from within. Just look at their party platform from 2020. Over 1,000 delegates voted against it. Why? Not liberal, not progressive, not radical enough. Your serve. Number one. Our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. And that's why I believe the next American century can be better than the last. 
Uh, that is Senator Tim Scott, clearly a leading candidate for 2024, as is Nikki Haley. Day one of four of the RNC is in the books. I label it strong on themes, high on quality, including production quality. Republicans correct the record on race, guns, accomplishments, and coronavirus, while Trump absorbs a blizzard of attacks and challenges from his friends and family alike. So we'll get to those challenges, but first, what took place last night? Listen, it started eight thirty Eastern time, kind of early in the West Coast, and kind of late in the East Coast. Not to start, but to end, because the big thing the networks take is the ten o'clock hour, and the president appeared uh, talking with first responders, and he appeared in, in in the White House with those some of the fifty hostages that he has gotten out from adverse situations where they were facing long prison times in in hostile countries like Iran and Syria, or death. And he met with them and talked about it. Robert O'Brien deserves a lot of credit for that, but he gives it all to the president. Now you know he's his national security advisor. So you saw some incredible speeches. Herschel Walker, Andrew Pollack. Andrew Pollack, who's a Long Islander, whose daughter Meadow was gunned down, shot multiple times by a gunman because uh, the security system and teachers not armed, security uh, people never came in. And he talked about the problems with the president. They developed a friendship. Vernon Jones, a Democrat who cannot vote for Joe Biden and feels like the party left him. Senator Tim Scott was phenomenal, as expected, talking about his personal story, his diverse background, the mentors he got, the adverse situation he began. Nikki Haley, same thing. She talks about being mocked. Her dad wore a turban and, you know, being mocked because she was a child of color in school. But in South Carolina, she rose above it, became the governor, the U.S. ambassador, and now I think a leading candidate for president. But first, trying to get the president elected. Here's a little of Nikki Haley. Cut 15. Where every girl and boy, every woman and man of every race and religion has the best shot at the best life. In this election, we must choose the only candidate who has and who will continue delivering on that vision. President Trump and Vice President Pence have my support, and America has our promise. True. Secure. Now, I originally thought the ambassador who came from left field and supported Marco Rubio had this did brilliantly as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, totally got where the hostile actors were, was willing to unify the world against the, the North Koreans and against the Iranians and blow up the agreement in the Paris Accord and do it with pride and said, the only reason I'll take this job, the only way I'll take it is if I can deal directly with you, Mr. President. And she took a lot of crap. General Kelly was very dismissive of her. Uh, as uh, as the national security advisor, and so was the first secretary of state. Feels though that she was really sidelined on that. So, uh, which was who was just a nightmare. But she wasn't. She wrote about it in her book. But she really likes the president and sees how atypical he is, how unorthodox he governs, and still says, "I'm there." Vernon Jones is a surprise for me. He, I didn't know much about him. A Georgia State rep says, I really love with the president's message in when he's doing this uh, criminal justice reform, when he did his support of, um, of traditional black colleges, as he did his enterprising zones, uh, opportunity zones. He said, well, I like what he's doing. And when he talked about that, he got such a blizzard of blowback. He said, the heck with that. I'll stay a Democrat and I'm supporting the president. Cut 13. Now, you know, when I made the public announcement of my support for President Trump, all hell broke loose. I was threatened, called an embarrassment, and asked to resign by my own party. Unfortunately, that's consistent 
with the Democratic Party and how they view independent thinking black men and women. But I'm here to tell you that black voices are becoming more woke and louder than ever. And it's really important for Democrats to make sure the president does not get 15, 20 percent of the black vote. They can't win. And that's why you look for a desperate push, a commercial to run out, misportraying Charlottesville, or talk about for some person in his past life that might have had a negative experience who might be a person of color. Something to come out to try to squelch this momentum. Because you have Kim Klasick, who is somebody who's running for a Baltimore congressional seat, which was held by Elijah Cummings, who is talking about the who's African-American, who's talking about how brutal this city is, how it's in uh, free fall. Rapid decline, and no, but no Democrat has helped out. And then you have somebody like Herschel Walker, outstanding player, UFC fighter, businessman, who's known Donald Trump since the 1980s. And like Daryl Strawberry, like Jim Brown, like Mike Tyson, like George Foreman, just off the top of my head, who likes the president. But get this, doesn't like him, knows him. Cut 14. Tom, excuse me, cut 10. I've known Donald Trump for 37 years. And I don't mean just casual ran into him from time to time. I'm talking about a deep personal friendship. He taught me that the family should be your top priority. I watched him treat janitors, security guards, and waiters the same way he would treat a VIP. He made them feel special because he knew they were. He understands that they are the people who make this country run. They clean, they cook, they build, they drive, they deliver. He told me, Herschel, Make an effort to get to know people. Uh, and he does. And I've, Herschel is also a, a kind guy in his own right, who I still remember in his junior year, decide I'm not really waiting to come back for my senior year. I'm going to go pro. And then he ended up picking the USFL. He had Doug Flutie as his quarterback. Later would add Jim Kelly and other players. But the league would collapse. The president tried to uh, then uh, the businessman tried to bring it up against the NFL, but uh, lost that lawsuit, won the lawsuit, but not enough to actually exist. But as you can imagine, the blowback for the president uh, on CNN, MSNBC was brutal. Uh, they hated everything about it. They didn't like it. They were uh, terrible. This is mixed messages. Uh, they would mock different speeches. So we'll bring you some of that throughout the day. But that was not uh, that unusual. What I thought was unusual is the amount of anger at the post office uh, master general. So here's a guy who takes a job that's the most nondescript job in government, but powerful, important job. And he was brought in as a systems expert. And he was brought in because the post office is losing $74 billion overall, $10 billion a year. And they're trying to stay uh, relevant in an email world, a text messaging world, in a cyber world, in a world in which Federal Express and UPS and UPS is blowing its stars off and Amazon using it, but not enough to keep it solvent because in comes the election process and the president saying, I am not comfortable. We have, depending on the post office, delivered ballots in time for entire states, unsolicited ballots in and out and delivered and counted. I'm not either. Louis DeJoy is the was the president's pick, uh, but he actually didn't select him and appoint him. He got that job, got confirmed, and now he is enemy number one. Here is Congressman Jim Cooper talking to DeJoy about what they say he's been doing to delay mail delivery. Cut 40. Do your mail delays fit Trump's campaign goal of hurting the post office 
as stated in his tweets, I'm, are your mail I'm delays not, implicit not, campaign I'm not contributions? These types of questions. I'm here. I'm here to represent the postal service. It has nothing to do with all my actions have to do with improvement into the postal service. May this. Am I the only one in this room that understands that we have a ten billion dollar a year loss? Right. Am I the only will, one in this room will you that give has looked this at the OIG reports Will you that give this committee up? your communications with Mark Meadows, with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, Go with the President? Mr. DeJoy, is your backup plan to be pardoned like Roger Stone? Oh, God. <laughs> you have two seconds to answer the question. I have no comments on that. Believe this? They're not there to get answers. They're not there to say, how do we handle a whole state or a country that is nervous about the virus and has to get 50 million ballots in unsolicited and mailed out to places they might not live anymore? Who are, you know, they're not there saying, like, how do we help you overcome this? Well, the answer has to be, you're not Nevada and New Jersey. You can't do what you just declared unilaterally to do, and that's mail everybody a ballot unrequested. Because they have no, we have no idea where you live in New Jersey. We have no idea where you live in Nevada. It's a shot in the dark. By the ballots getting there, who's actually going to fill them out? Will anybody fill them out? Are you going to show up anyway? That's the problem that's in LeJoy, DeJoy's lap, but it's really not his fault. But he is the fall guy. Listen to Britt Hume. Saw this ridiculous coverage going on. Realized they don't want to want answers. They already decided on Saturday. They gave even the post office $25 billion. They said they didn't need. And now on Monday they have the hearing. Cut 46. You know, the post office will be able to handle the mail-in ballots, assuming that they're cast in time without any problem at all. This whole thing is utter BS. Um, and the, the, the fact that it is being taken seriously... Uh, and is not regarded by as silliness by our our media colleagues is is surprising. And surprising? Have you paid attention? Anything Trump touches, they're just going to get on the opposite side. Now they're upset about the use of plasma as a way to get people suffering from the virus better quick. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I got to get some calls. I got to hear what you thought, uh, especially if you're undecided and independent. We'll put you first. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Get on board, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Next, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail, from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. These next four days are supposed to be more optimistic. He has been painting a fairly apocalyptic picture. Not quite my definition of upbeat and optimistic. It has been a lot of red meat. Not so much optimism and hope. We are broadcasting this, of course, by choice. However, it is our responsibility to not unquestioningly broadcast potentially dangerous misinformation, especially of the medical variety. We don't want to broadcast information that will allow Donald Trump to win. That's all you're worried about. When it comes to independence undecided, that's going to decide this election, not the Rachel Maddows of the world. Don't pretend it's dangerous. We're not stupid. One of the things I thought was pretty cool is the RNC just backed up. And this is mostly, you know, it's supposed to be visual. I get it. But you'll be able to pick this up in pure audio. Listen to uh, the RNC video that came out. They just talked about how this virus started, what the initial impressions were, how everyone was for a minute working together and not making this partisan and how it's all changed now. Here's a a look back, cut 38. Democrats, the media, and the World Health Organization got coronavirus wrong. Everything is fine. Come to Chinatown. Go about your lives, go about your business. One leader took decisive action to save lives. Promise made, promise kept. He is ready, willing, and able to help. It's in our hour of need, and you all literally are helping us in a big way. That was the most important tape of the night because president wasn't perfect on this, but nobody is. No leader is. Maybe Taiwan. Because, but that's a very uniform country that was it's on the doorstep of red China. They heard about it. They were able to adjust even better than China did. Aside from that, everyone's getting slammed. To keep in mind, we're getting slammed from Europe. We're getting slammed from China. We're getting, we have more tourists come to this country than everybody else. And then afterwards, we thought we dodged the bullet. Then it gets slamming into the south. We didn't think masks were a big deal. Then we realize it. And now, no one's talking about it, but I believe virus cases are down 22%. Deaths are down around 10%. I hope we've gotten on the other side of this because on the part of this that is behavior-oriented. But the fact in New York City that you can't open up restaurants until 2021 indoors is sinful. Hand in your keys. If you own a restaurant, you literally have to hand in your keys today because you don't, don't you cannot absorb these lease payments unless you own the building. And if you own the building, the bank is going to want money. And where are you going to get that revenue from? Uh, I'm saying you didn't buy it outright. You're not one of the handful of people in the country that can buy a building with cash. Pam is listening in Vermont. Hey, Pam. Hi, are you there? What's on your mind? I would like to predict that in 2024 that Tim Scott will be running for president. No question. And that, and that Kim, um, um, Kalsik, is it? Uh, Klasik. Classic, excuse me. <laughs> I have a little dyslexia. No problem. We'll be running for vice president. Mm, I, that's, I we'll have to see. Let her win first. But number well, one, yeah, you're right. But, but let me I give really you the contenders. Think- you got Tim Scott, hopefully. Rick Scott's also incredibly competent, successful. 
Uh, maybe the charisma rating is not Tim's level. But the guy, Jim Jordan, you can't rule him out. Tom Cotton speaking Thursday, you can't rule him out. Nikki Haley, my goodness, what a great background and a wealth of experience. And she'll have the private sector now after this with a husband in the military as a governor and ambassador. Man, that's uh, formidable. Uh, then you have Mike Pompeo. Uh, he's been great at CIA. He's been great at Secretary of State. He's been loyal to the president, but we know he's different than the president. He's also been an impact player in Congress. So these are just off the top of my head. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. That's somebody else. But first thing first, it's all about uh, 2020. And they're doing the best they can to make sure the president is not alienated because they're going to need his base of support, win or lose. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The pandemic has set us back, but not for long. President Trump brought our economy back before... And he will bring it back again. There's one more important area where our president is right. He knows that political correctness and cancel culture are dangerous and just plain wrong. In much of the Democratic Party, it's now fashionable to say that America is racist. That is a lie. America is not a racist country. And that's from a, girl, a woman that talked about as a kid having her dad mock because he was wearing a turban, that she was isolated because she was a, uh, in South Carolina. She was a person of color. And she watched. She grew up and she overcame it. And those people who were mocking her end up becoming her friends as they grew up and matured in every way. And now she became governor, ambassador, and I believe a leading contender to be president in 2024. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Center, former congressman of Florida, of course, author of multiple books, who's in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the big convention was supposed to take place. Now you just have uh, portions of the convention taking place there. Colonel, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be with you, Brian. And uh, actually, I flew back here to uh, Texas last night uh, from Charlotte. So we got a lot of things going on this week in Texas to make sure we continue to press the message that the RNC is putting out this week. Yeah, absolutely. So what'd you find in Charlotte? Well, I found uh, unity in Charlotte. I found without a doubt that, as you saw yesterday, with the president and the vice president being there at uh, our convention, nominating them, uh, kicking everything off of this week, it, it was just a, a great uh, bit of enthusiasm. The energy is there, and I think that there's a momentum on the side of constitutional conservatives who believe in the rule of law and not the rule of the mob. So what did you think of the speeches last night? I mean, Don Jr., we knew it was going to be big. Kimberly Guilfoyle was quite fired up. But I thought that Senator Tim Scott was uh, phenomenal. Personal story as it relates to the party. Nikki Haley, personal story as it relates to the party Mm -hmm. and the president. And I thought uh, you had Kim Klasick, who I think is a rising star, who's running for a seat in Baltimore that Elijah Cummings had for decades. And I thought you saw a lot of different stories. I mean, you had the McCloskeys who came out and actually Mm -hmm. had the audacity to try to defend their property with guns who are mocked on other channels. Uh, Nicholas Sandman will be tonight, who was mischaracterized by the press, and they're not backing off now and sued and was successfully against CNN and others. 
So, Colonel, did you like the messaging last night? The messaging was great, and I think it, it goes along with the theme when you understand America is a land of opportunity. And I always tell people my simple story as well. In 1961, I was born in a blacks-only hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, but I grew up in the same neighborhood that produced Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and my dad was just a corporal in the United States Army in World War II uh, at a time when this country didn't see him as, as an equal. But yet he, uh, without a doubt, raised his subsequent generations. Uh, my older brother was a Marine in, in Vietnam. I became a lieutenant colonel uh, and commander of battalion in combat. And his grandson now is uh, came out on the lieutenant colonel's list. So I think those are the stories about America, not about how your color holds you back. It's about the content of your character that carries you forward. And when you heard uh, Senator Scott last night talked about how his grandfather had to uh, was left school in the third grade to go to work in the cotton fields, could, didn't learn to read and write, yet his grandson has been a member of the House of Representatives and now a member, member of the Senate. So those are the stories that we need to tell that you certainly did not hear last week at the Democrat convention. And I think to a degree, Democrats had to be a little bit panicked. You have an Indian American from South Carolina and Nikki Haley. You have Vernon Jones, a Democrat from Georgia, saying I'm back in President mm-hmm. Trump. You have Herschel Walker, an icon, UFC guy, great running back in person, who's been in the public eye for 40 years, uh, who got to know the president personally. Then you have Senator Tim Scott, who's not only is he a black senator, but he's a confidant of the president. The president talks to him all yes. the time. And I thought this was interesting from Herschel Walker because I know a lot of people involved in politics don't watch sports. So they know Herschel Walker's name. They don't know who he is. And a lot of them were stunned to hear him speak the way he speaks. But here's what he's talking about. He's told me this before, too. Cut 12. It hurt my soul to hear the terrible name that people call Donald. The worst one is racist. I take it as a personal insult that people would think I've had a 37-year friendship with a racist. People who think that don't know what they're talking about. Growing up in the Deep South, I've seen racism up close. I know what it is, and it isn't Donald Trump. Just because someone loves and respects the flag, our national anthem, and our country, doesn't mean they don't care about social justice. That came from the heart, and it's the frustration a lot of people feel. Daryl Strawberry has said some similar things to me. Jim Brown has said similar things to me. George Foreman. And I only bring that up because there's high-profile people who get blowback for feeling this way about the president because they get to know him. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And again, you know, Herschel, I remember uh, he grew up in Wrightsville, Georgia. And of course, I grew up in Atlanta, but his first uh, college football game was against us at the University of Tennessee. And we've gotten to become really good friends. We've done a couple of cross-country motorcycle rides together. And he lives not far from me here in uh, in North Texas. But Herschel, again, is just that everyday face that is coming out and saying that you cannot demonize a person because he does not think and believe as you do, which is what we see happening. The Texas Democrat Party, just to understand how insidious things have gotten, the Texas Democrat Party put out a statement after I was elected as a chairman calling me a racist. So basically what they're saying is that anybody that doesn't agree with them, you're racist. It doesn't matter about color of skin or what have you. And so what they're doing is cheapening uh, something that, you know, my parents had to go through. And my parents experienced that. But my parents loved this country, and they raised us all to love this country. And as I said, to wear the uniform to fight for this country. So let's talk about what's happening in Wisconsin now. You had an African-American man get shot seven times in the back by a cop. 
Uh, they evidently, there's some video out there of them wrestling prior to him getting up and trying to walk into his car, but he had his kids in the back. And now you have a series of riots. You have used car lights blown up. Uh, you see what's going on in Wisconsin. Portland's getting worse. In Austin, Texas, they voted to defund the police, and anarchy is reigning. Yeah. So, uh, Colonel, where do you stand on this? I know we have, what you think, but when it comes to something, when law enforcement is in the situation, they immediately suspended the cops, and now they're doing an investigation, and that's the green light for riots everywhere. Well, understand this. We do have a rule of law, and that's why they, that uh, police officers have been suspended. They will go through the right uh, processes and procedures and reviews and investigations, just the same as the officers in Minnesota have been charged, and they'll do their day in court. But where is all the angst? Where is all the uh, you know response from the progressive socialist left? When we see hundreds of shootings and, and killings and murders in Chicago and all across these major cities that the left controls, these are young black men being killed darn near every day. But see, the whole thing about Black Lives Matter is that it is certain black lives that matter, black lives that can be used for uh, an ideological agenda to be leveraged, and, and not all black lives. Where you know, thousands of black babies are murdered in the womb a day. Uh, every day in the United States of America, since 1973, 20-plus million have been murdered in the womb. You have more black babies that are being uh, killed in the womb in New York City than are being born. But I don't hear anyone you know, going out and, and rioting in the streets over that. So I think, once again, this is not the way to respond. America is not about the, the wanton violence and chaos that the mob is creating. And again, go back to last week, Brian. You did not hear a single member speaking in the Democrat convention that condemned that violence, condemned that chaos. So they own it. Black Lives Matter leader Sean King tweeted this out. Uh, Peaceful protest? Nah, I'm not going to call for peace. We've tried peace for years. You all don't understand that language. We're calling for a complete dismantling of American policing. It's not broken. It was built to work this way. And mayhem is the consequence. You earned it. So all the black officers that are out there that are police officers, like the great uh, police officers we saw in Charlotte, Mecklenburg, uh, that protected us this weekend, they're supposed to be bad, too. Look, they're bad journalists, but that doesn't mean that Brian Kilmeade is a bad journalist. They're bad soldiers. Doesn't mean that Alan West was a bad soldier. There are bad apples in every single career profession out there, but you don't demonize an entire uh, profession. And I think that what you're seeing is that this is the ideological agenda of the left, to eradicate the policing forces, and then who takes over the streets? Black Lives Matter? I mean, are they the new brown shirts? Antifa? Are they going to be the new uh, militants out there on the streets? So that's why you see people like the McCloskeys. That's why you see gun sales soaring, because everyday Americans, to include suburban Americans, are not going to be held hostage in their houses to the mob. I hear you. Now let's bring it to internationally. Pakistan is sanctioning the Taliban as this U.S. peace deal moves forward with the Afghanistan government and the Taliban. They're going to start talking together. Uh, Pakistan, we know, has housed the Akani network that we know they have housed and allowed the Taliban to train and arm in their country. Uh, Can you break down the dynamics between the sitting Afghan government, the Taliban Afghans uh, and and Pakistan? Well, the Pakistani ISI, which is basically their intelligence service, 
has always kind of been the the creator of the Taliban, and they have shielded the Taliban. And Pakistan does not want to see anything of a strong Afghanistan. They like the chaos. They like the unrest there. But I think what Pakistan is starting to realize is that you have a very serious player in the White House right now, and that's President Donald Trump. They've seen what has happened over in uh, in the Middle East. They know what he did with uh, the leader of ISIS. They know what he did with General Soleimani. And they're very concerned that maybe uh, that support and all those uh, resources that have been flowing to Pakistan will get cut off. So I think that maybe they're starting to hedge their bets because President Trump's going to win a second term. I tell you, I, I personally, I just disagree with the president on the total pullout in Afghanistan. I hate this peace deal, and I don't like the yeah. fact that we have a prime minister in Iraq. It seems like we can work with, and he wants Iran out of that country. I know people have heard similar things before, but we've missed opportunities in Iraq. We did well, the surge think- and left, blew it. And now we finally got a Afghan government, an Iraqi government that's responsive and understands that America is actually there to give them freedom not to own their oil, unlike Iran, who wants to dominate them and make them a sycophant nation. Mm-hmm. And I think the president's missing the ball on this. Well, I think that in, in the end, there will be advisors that will tell the president Hope you so. have to be able to maintain a strike force capability so that you can keep these uh, these people honest. And uh, I think that's what he saw when he uh, in, in Iraq, and that enabled him to bring the Iraqi leadership to the table to understand that, yeah, we're there to support them. We're, we want yeah. Iran out of there. And taking on Soleimani was a big step in that, in that way. And I think, I just pray that he will have the right people to tell him to go down that same path when it comes to Afghanistan. You don't have to have, you know, 20, 30,000 troops, but you need to have that strike force capability. I think so. And I think Robert O'Brien feels that. And I know Mike Pompeo feels that. Hopefully, and General Keene is a constant resource for him. So hopefully they'll get that message um, because we don't want 100,000, but we don't want to lose influence in the area because Russia and China will move right in. It just, it's not right to guys like you who fight these wars to have them all blow up. Uh, for no reason, because you got to a point through everybody's hard work and sacrifice. Colonel, thanks so much. Uh, Texas is lucky to have you. Keep it going. Thanks so much, Brian. I look forward to seeing you down this way in Texas. Okay. I hope so. Yeah, when I'm allowed to travel, I uh, appreciate it. one 408 When we come back, I'll take your calls and find out if there's indeed more to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Joe Biden believes we can't think for ourselves, that the color of someone's skin dictates their political views. We're not buying the lies anymore. You and your party have neglected us for far too long. We want safety in our neighborhoods. We want to make the most of the federal opportunity zone I'm standing in right now in West Baltimore. We want higher paying jobs and more business opportunities. We can compete in our inner cities if we reach out to the citizens and deliver real results. Look, uh, over the last few years, I've been covering the conventions, and I love it. It's, it's fun to do the interviews, but it's kind of boring. You know, I hear the speeches, I hear the cheering, and it's almost contrived. It's like an infomercial. But I didn't feel that way last night. I really wanted to watch in order to do this show. 
But I had it flew by from 8:30 until 10 o'clock. I could not believe how much, how many great personal stories I was getting, and how well it was produced. And the segments were fantastic. That's how I viewed it. It's only day one, but the president's got to do the sale. So far, the morning consult poll that Joe Biden got a two per, a two point boost from his convention. That is awful. Nothing to do. Maybe it has a lot to do with the virtual event. Maybe he's peaked, but he's at around 46, 48 percent. That's an opportunity for the president. Cliff is listening online. Uh, Cliff, you want to compare your in Connecticut, RNC and DNC? Well, I'm just taking my call. Listen, uh, both. Now, this is what I'm saying. Both watching both both um, conventions, and but this is what I'm saying. I see white Republicans call white Democrats racist, and then white racist. Democrats call Republican racist. But here's the point I'm making. In terms Actually, of police, I don't think a Republican I, call anybody racist. Do you? I've not heard that. Well, yeah. Some talk shows, some people have said that Fox News, you know, they've called the Democratic Party and said that they've been the party historically that have perpetuated racism. You know, so that's been said. But so, we, so, so my point is, is that you have two parties calling each other racist. You know what I mean? And so, but nevertheless, I digress with that. But the reason why I call, in terms of policing, and this is what I, I can't get an answer from white Democrats or white Republicans, Brian, on this. Why don't you see black police officers shooting white suspects or white criminals at the same rate as you do with white officers with black? criminals or black people. I don't know. I, 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 I've never even, I never thought about that. I mean, I, I could try to look up that stat. So your stat is why don't right. black officers, why aren't black officers shooting white people at the rate that white officers are shooting black people? Exactly. I can't get a response from nobody, white Democrats or white Republicans. I'll try to get a stat that, on that. I never question. heard the question, but can I ask you this? Don't sure, you think sure. the Black Lives Matter movement would have more substance if they could be just as outraged about the 59 shot in New York over the weekend and the 46 shot in Chicago, black on black, as they are to the incident in Wisconsin? But you know what, Brian? I believe white people don't care about the lives being lost in black neighborhoods. Uh, uh, they, they, uh, they, they're don't, not don't losing sleep. I think people so, do, and I have a lot of friends that are cops community we got to deal with this but why is there more guns in the black community available uh, rather than jobs and opportunity and that goes back to what trump says about the leadership under white democrats i agree he's right with that i want to get to something i want to get to something let's peel this whole thing away i want to find out why there are generations that feel as though they have no shot at the american dream now, on that premise comes the negative behavior, comes the cops to stop the negative behavior, comes the incidents that are sure to bring uh, controversy. But fundamentally, if you're on a pathway to achieving your dreams and your goals, whether it's school, learning a craft or a skill, you're not going to get in trouble because you've got a mission. But there are people who feel like that mission is not theirs. And that's, to me, progress. We can get to that. Well, you know what, Brian, if I can end with this, that's what African-Americans are looking for in this country, the fair and equal opportunity yes. to succeed. That's all we're looking for. That's the conversation you know I mean? we to need be, to have. Not, not to be oppressed just based on your color of your skin or the character, just based on your qualifications and who you are. That's what we've been asking for when we got here, and we're still trying to ask and Cliff, where'd you for grow that up? privilege. Where'd you grow up? Right here in America. I know, but what, what city? Red City down south. 
Where the racism is prevalent, as Herschel Walker would say, I witnessed that and still witness that even up north. Well, Cliff, you're helping the process. We're speaking about it. We're getting along. We're not accusing. Thanks so much for calling the show and listening. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, an important day. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. It's about to get a little bit better as our show moves on. Coming to you from New York City and heard around the world, uh, especially around this great nation. As we focus on eight of the next 14 days have really been about conventions. The DNC had four. And night one of the four-day extravaganza for the RNC is now in the books with uh, another one queued up for tonight, Wednesday. And the president will be speaking at length on Thursday. And most of the networks are carrying from 10 o'clock on. They're not early on. The RNC started about 8.30. Now, uh, in New York, we just got some good news. Just got to add to this. Hopefully, you haven't experienced the same thing. The CDC has lifted lifted the quarantine. So that allows us in New York, for example, if I travel, not to have to quarantine for two weeks or have to get an instant test. This is the beginning of a normalcy because the curve is bending on the coronavirus big time across the country. We're not out of the woods. We know that. But now it's up to the Democratic leadership to release the uh, to release the lid off of New York, allow people to travel back and forth. And allow you people to eat in, indoors. That would certainly help. We'll talk about all this with uh, Governor Haley Barber. He knows what it's like to be in charge of a state while still answering to the federal government. Uh, Charlie Kirk, who led things off last night, he was the very first speaker. And Varney and company will do a simulcast. So you'll see what I look like on FBN as if you can't see me, but you can see me on Fox Nation. So let's get to the big three. What is the cost of a first-class postage stamp? 55 cents. Just wanted to check. What about to mail a postcard? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, ma'am. You don't know the cost to mail a postcard? <laughs> I don't. Unbelievable. Uh, what a waste of time. Mail and voting mayhem. The House hearing uh, with Postmaster General was a mix of incompetence and anger. And an unhinged comment from Speaker Pelosi shows how Trump has helped her lose her sense of decency over the last year or so. The takeaways for me are coming your way. Number two. And as Rachel reflected, some of the real American people that you're seeing have been people who are are disgraced, not people that people rally around like the St. Louis couple or the young man from Cuff Cath who interacted with the elder Native American in D.C. Uh, that is Yvette Thompson. Predictably, Dems showed their disdain with the Republican National Convention, but more astute observers have seen the divide within. Just look at their party platform in 2020. Over a thousand delegates voted against it. Why? No, not liberal, not progressive, not radical enough. Number one. Our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. And that's why I believe the next American century 
can be better than the last. Wow, that is Tim Scott. Day one of a four-day extravaganza in the books. I label it very strong on themes, high in production quality. Republicans correct the record on race, guns, and accomplishments, and coronavirus, while Trump absorbs a blizzard of attacks and challenges from his friends, family, and foes. Let's bring in Governor Haley Barber. Not only was he governor of a state, but he also ran the Republican Party, uh, as well as a convention. Governor, welcome back. Well, thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be back. And uh, I was very, very pleased. I didn't get to watch it all last night, but I was really pleased with the quality. Uh, but more importantly, I was pleased that the message was substantive. I mean, it talked about problems and how we solve those problems. We talked about problems and how we're working on those problems. We talked about people who are affected by this and can speak to those solutions and you know, say how, how grateful they are. I thought it was a big difference with the Democratic Convention, which I thought was well-produced, but it was uh, what's wrong, uh, how, how terrible our country is. Uh, and terrible and, uh, Donald Trump is. Not up yeah, for the course. job as a theme. <laughs> that, was the main, uh, that was the main subject of every sentence was Donald Trump. And uh, and I, I just thought it was way overdone, and it was really kind of depressing. Uh, like anyway, tonight, yeah. but, the, but last night, just the opposite. Upbeat, accomplishments, let's, but let's talk about substance. The Democrats don't want to talk about substance, partially because he's, the lead-in said a thousand Democrat delegates voted against their platform. And I want well, to talk I, about that. It wasn't left wing enough. So listen, you know it. Uh, you know that when the Tea Party came up, Republicans were nervous. They weren't, you know, conservatives were saying, "Wow, this is way to the right. We're not. That's not going to be accepted." I'm worried about candidates winning nominations. They can't win the general. You remember that being your issue. For this issue, the Democrats are not changing. They're just asking the AOCs and the squads of the world, and and the new Green Deals of the world, and the Bernie Sanders to keep quiet for now. But they're not. They're voting against it. And the key for Republicans is to make Joe Biden admit what he will actually do, because if they believe him, it will alienate his entire left wing. Well, and and what I think he'll actually do is he'll just kowtow to, to Sanders and Warren and go hard left. And, and he won't he won't wait a year to do that. I think he'll do it right out of the chute if he were to get elected. Uh, and then the American people are who are going to be the ones that are uh, disappointed, not the far left of the Democratic Party. President Gray's weakest right now, under 40 percent sometimes in the low 40s at best, on coronavirus. That's why I think this media, this is a portion of the media montage they put together on the truth on the virus that has only been with us, believe it or not, for eight months. But now he's getting all the blame Listen the best we can, even though this is built for television, on um, what the RNC put together using actual cuts of Pelosi, de Blasio, and Cuomo. Cut 38. Democrats, the media, and the World Health Organization got coronavirus wrong. Everything is fine. Come to Chinatown. Go about your lives. Go about your business. One leader took decisive action to save lives. Promise made, promise kept. He is ready, willing, and able to help. In our hour of need, you all literally are helping us in a big way. Those are Democratic governors praising the president for his action in the hail, in the in the eye of the storm. 
They've all reversed that. That's the message the Republicans have to get out. The president hasn't been perfect, but he's not the villain. Well, look, Brian, I'm I'm one of the few governors who's had to deal with a gigantic disaster. Katrina was the worst natural disaster yep. in American history at the time. Anybody that thinks you can make decision after decision in the midst of the uber disaster just doesn't know what they're talking about. Some of those decisions are going to be wrong. And uh, Cuomo made decisions that were wrong. Doctors made decisions that were wrong. Trump had some decisions that he changed. But if you're if you're the leader, you make decisions because in the mega disaster, doing nothing doesn't work out very well. The, let the mega disaster take its course. No, but Trump has made decisions. He's worked hard at it. He's made real progress, and he's been he's had good enough judgment to understand there's a balance here, uh, and. Whether we went far enough this way or that way, time will tell. But don't don't act like this is easy. And let me say, Katrina, one storm came in, did this gigantic, awful damage. But that was it. With the pandemic, three days later, it may be a totally different problem that you, that not only you didn't foresee, that didn't exist. And Trump and a lot of other good people, Democrats and Republicans, are having to deal with that. Uh, and I think my hat's off to the president uh, for what he's been able to do. The vice president is not leaving his basement. He says that's the responsible message he wants to show the country. He's not knocking on doors. He told the DNC not to. He said that, you know, going out and doing events gets people killed. So he says he wants a mask. He says, I'll do whatever the scientists tell me to do, including shut down the country again. Why is that message rating higher than the president's actions? Well, you got to remember, uh, the, the, the after the Democrat first couple of nights, the, the liberal media elite was fawning over their message. I mean, it was like a long infomercial, except a lot of this, the praise was being made by the news media in favor of the Democrats, no matter what they said. And I thought it was, uh, it was, it was very, very obvious. It was the, uh, the, the CNNs and et, et cetera, just chiming in behind the Democrats. Yes, you're right. We love you. You're doing everything wonderful. Get rid of Trump. Governor, Haley, Bar- Governor Haley Barber, our guest. Governor, uh, I'm real concerned. Uh, I don't care about winning or losing a side, about the accuracy of our election. If, as governor, you decide, I'm going to mail everybody a ballot, and we're going to have mail-in because it's too dangerous to go to a polling place. And now, all of a sudden, the pressure is on the post office because the president says, I am not convinced they can handle it. Listen to some of this hearing yesterday with Louis DeJoy, who just took a job that normally is not controversial, running the post office. Cut 40. Do your mail delays fit Trump's campaign goal of hurting the post office, as stated in his tweets? Are your mail delays implicit campaign contributions? These types of questions. I'm here here to represent the Postal Service. It has nothing to do with all my actions have to do with improvement into the Postal Service. Am I the only one in this room that understands that we have a $10 billion a year loss 
Right? Am I the only will, one in this room will you that give this committee, Will you give this committee up? your communications with Mark Meadows, with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, Go with ahead the and President? Do that. Mr. DeJoy, is your backup plan to be pardoned like Roger Stone? Oh, God. <laughs> you have two seconds to answer the question. I have no comments on that. Governor, can you believe this? Well, I mean, look, that uh, speaks volumes about the Democrats' attitude. Uh, do, do you expect to get pardoned? You know, <laughs> uh, here's a guy that's a successful band, t takes a job that is a really hard job. I mean, the the post office has been losing money. It's been having a hard time. It has to compete with people like FedEx and UPS, and it's not proven very good at doing that, but it's kept going. And then to, to be called into what's supposedly a serious hearing and have those kind of questions, I mean, that's just bunk. Uh, yeah, I would say so. So listen to what Hillary Clinton's advice is to Joe Biden. Cut 39. Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out and eventually I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. Do you believe this? Well, uh, that's not surprising to me. I, I remember uh, after the election and before the inauguration and at the inauguration and then the day after the inauguration, I grew up in the political system starting in the 60s where it was tough, but if you lost, the losing party referred to themselves as the loyal opposition. Before Donald Trump even got inaugurated, the Democrats or a group of the Democrats were referring to themselves as the resistance, as if they were in guerrilla warfare against the Russians. I mean, it is... Uh, uh, this idea that President Obama, I believe, said in his speech that he wanted to give the give the president President Trump a chance to prove himself. Well, maybe he did, but the vast majority of the Democratic Party's attitude was just like the ones who were conducting that hearing of the Postmaster General. They said Trump was unacceptable. Not up to the job yep. before you ever went in the job. I hear you. Governor, i got to bring you to another governor, Tate Reeves in Mississippi. You know him. Uh, oh, he sure. He was a treasurer when I was governor. He signed an executive order uh, how college football stadiums operate this fall. Some states have opted not to make any effort to play. I believe we have to try to play. We just can't abandon our athletes in the culture. First and probably most importantly, seating capacity in the bowl will be limited to 25% if schools can ensure a minimum of six feet social distancing. He is telling the Big Ten and Pac-12 to revisit their decision on not to play this year. It's going to be devastating to the culture, to the athletic departments, to the university. Um, and I think it's totally unnecessary. Why is the SEC say it's okay and the Big Ten can't? I can't help but think this is politics. Well, I can't speak for the Big Ten uh, or, or anybody else. Uh, the, the SEC believes, and I think rightly, that this could be done in the right way, that it won't be everything that we want. We won't have, you know, 100,000 people in Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. Uh, you'll have 25,000. But you'll have these young men who have – this is their future – getting to play and be seen 
know, this is not uh, – this is serious, serious stuff, as you say, for the schools, for their budgets. But also, a lot of these guys are going to be seniors. Yep. And what does this do to their chance that they will have a career in professional football? I mean, uh, Tate, our governor, said here are going to be the rules and we're going to play. Uh, if, if that doesn't, if that turns out to be a bad decision, then they'll have to come back and make adjustments. But right now, we are very, very hopeful in the SEC that this will go smoothly and it will have a great year. Governor, always uh, how great to have you on. Always insightful in a very, uh, very unorthodox time. Governor Haley Barber, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. You got it, Governor. Wow, warm out there. Uh, Charlie Kirk at the bottom of the hour, but next is you. I see every every line but one is filled. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Get on board. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The thing that I was most struck by last night was these personal testimonials about the president that were clearly designed to make particularly white suburbanites think that the president is not a racist. This was aimed at combating the president's own behavior and things he says, couching uh, racist and sexist things he said as, quote unquote, you know, criticisms that he's not politically correct enough. It may be effective. We will know on Election Day. But that's a lot of what last night was about. It was not an optimistic vision about the country, uh, at least certainly under Joe Biden. But it was a, a rosier version of Donald Trump than we usually hear. Uh, true. Well, I think it was a, a look at the country. If you see that uh, Charlie Kirk and company were talking about the vision of the country, where we were before the pandemic hit. Absolutely. And I just don't buy into this whole thing that America has dropped in prestige around the world. I don't get that. Because everyone says it. George Bush with the Iraq war, we, we lost prestige. Uh, Ronald Reagan, people think he's dumb. Uh, Bill Clinton and the scandal, he hurt the look of the entire country and let uh, terror take root and didn't really stick up for our allies. And, of course, backed out of Somalia, which sent the wrong message. Over and over again, the people say the same thing all the time. Tell everyone in the Middle East that our prestige has dropped. When Barack Obama is the one who let the Russians into the Middle East. Mark, listening online in the villages. Mark. Hey, Brian. How you doing today? What was it like, was was it like from your view? What did you think of the RNC? I love the RNC. No more doom and gloom. How uplifting, especially for Maxwell Alvarez. Alvarez. How Cuba. heartfelt was that? And Sean Purnell. And the list goes on. And the soundbite of the day, Biden the lurking swamp monster. How true is that? Yeah, Don Jr. brought that up, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I got all your calls, especially we got a ton from St. Louis. Uh, the McCloskeys are actually from St. Louis. one 408 I'll get to your calls in Charlie Kirk next. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
there are real people, uh, real American people, as the campaign says, that will be speaking today. And, and some of them are also some controversial figures now. As we have this moment of racial reckoning uh, in our history, one is that St. Louis couple who brought out their rifles as Black Lives Matter protesters peacefully marched through their community. They are on the list to speak. And as Rachel reflected, some of the real American people that you're seeing have been people who are are disgraced, not people that people rally around like the St. Louis couple or the young man from Cuff Cath who interacted with the elder Native American in D.C. We have a totally different view. I just wanted to play this because it's so detached from reality, I believe. And uh, ABC is trashing Nicholas Sandman, who was abused and was able to sue networks for their misportrayal of him just standing there uh, uh, on a trip with his school and being accused of uh, putting down this American Indian who was mocking him. And while this uh, this this black supremacist organization screamed at him and the McCloskeys who were defending their own property when this uh, this riot came to their came to their house. So it's amazing, Charlie Kirk, as I welcome you as executive director of Turning Point USA, author of the MAGA Doctrine, but most importantly, kicked off the RNC as the first speaker. Uh, Charlie, before we get to your speech, which was great, ABC's view of these two people really talk about the divide in these countries, correct? I mean, it's it's almost like we're living in a different country, Brian. I mean, the McCloskeys... They, they own a piece of property, and the BLM activists were not peaceful. They, they tore down their gates. They came straight up to their front door, and with legally acquired firearms, they came out in front of, I think it was well over 60 or 70 or even 100 you know, potential you know, individuals that wanted to come in their home, and they, they just gestured the weapon. They did not fire the firearm at all. None of those people have been arrested, Brian, and yet – they, with their legally acquired firearms, which is a constitutional right, they have become the villains in the eyes of the media. And that intentional misinterpretation of Nick Sandman, maybe Nick Sandman's going to sue them again. <laughs> I mean, he got a huge settlement from Washington Post and CNN, and now you're seeing people again slander Nick Sandman. I wouldn't do that. I'm just uh, – right. if I was a media organization, I would stay away from trying to comment on him unless it was something yeah, he's very still, positive. Yeah, he's still got his legal team together. I mean they're still – they, right. they just broke for lunch. That's all. Uh, Charlie, what was your approach – to because you represent the next generation of conservatives. You've gotten kids in school, you give them a place to go and, and a focus. And I've never seen somebody consolidate and deliver in a positive way a, a group, the next generation of Republicans. They say it's an older party, but not if they look at turning point. What did you what was your message, the Charlie Kirk message? Well, thank you. First of all, I was honored to speak uh, last night and, and to kick it off. It was it's phenomenal and very thankful to the president for giving me that platform. My message was a couple different things. I, I tried to convey a sense of urgency that that this election truly is important, trying to warn voters that if you know President Trump is not given four more years, that the Democrats are really trying to do something very destructive to the fabric of our country. And then I got into kind of the optimistic part where if we do reelect President Trump, you know, we can get our kids to love America again through school choice and teaching teaching American exceptionalism, which is something the president talked about in his big policy announcement um, actually two days ago. And I think that's a really important thing to communicate. I also talked about uh, some of the struggles that are facing new families and some new families that are trying to start um, their way in life and whether it be financial or otherwise. Uh, the speech was, you know, very favorably received. Honored to be able to give it, uh, kind of from a position as a 26-year-old 
talking to the next generation, but also an audience at home that I think uh, is really worried about the country that their kids are entering. I thought, you know, last week uh, they really said that the theme was Donald Trump is not up for the job. In day one, they went to personal stories, not just Donald Trump is up for the job, I told you. They went to personal stories about what he's done and what he's like. And they also went out Joe Biden's record. Here's Tim Scott, cut seven. In 1994, Biden led the charge on a crime bill that put millions of black Americans behind bars. President Trump's criminal justice reform law fixed many of the disparities Biden created and made our system more fair and just for all Americans. Joe Biden also failed our nation's historically black colleges and universities, heaping blame on them as they fought to ensure our young folks had access to higher education. Once again, to clean up Joe Biden's mess, President Trump signed into law historically high funding for HBCUs, as well as a bill to give them permanent funding. It was a pushback on, you know, Joe Biden came out and said, when I saw Charlottesville in the president's comments, I knew I had to run for president. And I think systematically uh, between uh, Vernon Jones, between Tim Scott, uh, between uh, Nikki Haley, uh, talking about a bro- Herschel Walker, there was a pushback, but it wasn't a speech. It was personal experience. Don't you think that was key? It, it was incredibly powerful, Brian. And what I loved about Senator Scott's speech, which was in phenomenally well-written, I mean, it was, it was an act of mastery. It really was, was he built up to it, right? It wasn't just right out of the gate where a lot of the Democrat speech were, speeches where they said, Trump is awful. Tim Scott introduced himself to the American people. A lot of people don't even know Tim Scott. Is a black Republican senator from South Carolina, right? So he said, here's my story. You know, I grew up in less than desirable circumstances, and I got elected in the South. And the heart of the South has really moved in the right direction. And here's why I'm a Republican. And oh, by the way, since now I've established my credibility as someone who is obviously caring about racial issues, Joe Biden's the worst on those issues. Absolute home run. Not just the worst on what he said, but the worst on what he's done. I can only imagine, and we're starting to see some you know, evidence of this, people that are Democrats watching this, how persuasive that kind of argument is. I thought that paired with Nikki Haley was phenomenal. I think Herschel Walker, um, considering his widespread name ID, I thought he was terrific. Um, and I think those are probably some of the three best speeches from tonight, to be honest with you. So I thought um, the, Herschel I, Walker, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott. I also thought uh, you're up there, and I also thought that the montage put together – uh, using facts, actual news reports was also key because the coronavirus is where the president grades out the lowest. No, he has not been perfect, but there hasn't been anyone, maybe outside Taiwan, who has been flawless. We also got hit from every coast and from uh, from south, north and south. Here's what the Republican National Committee put together. I mean, it's built for TV, but you can understand it. Cut 38. Democrats, the media, and the World Health Organization got coronavirus wrong. Everything is fine. Come to Chinatown. Go about your lives. Go about your business. One leader took decisive action to save lives. Promise made, promise kept. He is ready, willing, and able to help. It's in our hour of need. You all literally are helping us in a big way. So... It's important. Governor Newsom was praising him. Governor Cuomo was praising him. Uh, it was Nikki. It was uh, it was 
Governor, excuse me, Speaker Pelosi walking through Chinatown in San Francisco, hugging people, and Mayor de Blasio saying, don't worry about it. Celebrate Chinese New Year because they can't, because they're being hit by a virus. And the governor says, we're not going to get hit bad here. They forgot all that. It's a shame. It's only been eight months. And I was so pleased to see that. That was one of the most effective montages I've ever seen. And the president should cut that up and run it as advertisement all across the country. The president should, because people forget that there was a nonstop governor kind of congratulatory thank you, you know, stream for months, remember? I mean, and then all of a sudden they kind of turned nasty and sour the moment that they realized they could use this virus as a way to attack President Trump. And I think it's very important to remind people of that. And the president really did do a go above and beyond this reaction. He shut down travel when his to China when his critics said that it was xenophobic and not correct. He expanded production for personal protection equipment and for ventilators. And so I, I think it's an unfair standard to judge any politician at. Um, but especially when the Democrats go out of their way and they're trying to make that a key issue to try to remove mm-hmm. Donald Trump, I, I think that it's very wise on the Trump campaign and the Republican convention to set the record straight. Have you talked to the president today? Not today, no, but we uh, did chat briefly, and uh, he's been very excited, I think, with the convention, and I think very highly of him. And I was very – honestly, you know what I said, Brian? I just said thank you. I said I'm a 26-year-old from the suburbs of Chicago that – Never went to college. I had an opportunity to speak at a national convention that with a reduced schedule, right, with being less time than ever before. Um, and I was just I'm just very grateful, Brian. I well, mean, it, you, it, you earned it. I, I love the American dream and the American uh, story. Charlie does oh. the hard work and the organization has the vision and knowledge. Charlie, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Congratulations again. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon. Uh, he is executive director of Turning Point USA. Back in a moment, I'll be live on Varney and Company, and then we'll dive right into your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, in a matter of moments, to be able to do that. I see every line is filled up, and I'm going to uh, start go from North Carolina over to St. Louis, where we got up in Indiana and Kansas. So I'll be going around the country shortly. But right now, it's Stuart Varney and Varney and Company. Try to find that on your cable dial. You could see it. And you can always watch us on, on Fox Nation. And if you've got the subscription, you might as well be watching every day. We've got three cameras here that highlight. They go to, I guess, voice technology, where I'm speaking, where I'm looking. And uh, we'll do that. We're going to talk about Jerry Seinfeld, the column that he wrote um, in the uh, Wall Street Journal. Was it the Wall Street Journal that Jerry Seinfeld was in, Allison? New York Times. New York Times. And then we're going to first talk about this horrible decision in New York to keep indoor dining shut out the rest of the year. And it is just a disaster. They now have not opened up gyms. They weren't going to. The governor's making the mayor open up a gym on September 2nd. Still, it's a couple of weeks away. And this week, Long Island and uh, I believe Westchester are opening up. This is just an So let's listen to Stuart. Brian Kilmeade is on the show. He's the host of the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, Brian, you know this story. Mayor de Blasio says dining, indoor dining, might not come back to New York until next year. Just watch this, Brian. Roll tape. 
Of course we'll be back. If folks miss uh, the theater, if they miss, uh, you know, the indoor dining, those things will be back. Uh, They'll be back next year at some point. I think that is overwhelmingly the case. What is he trying to do to the restaurant business and the whole culture of New York City, Brian? Can you answer that? No, uh, he's a guy that never ever ran a business before. He has no idea right. what it's like to meet a payroll. He has no idea what to go, what it's like to go up to the landlord and say, I just didn't make the business this week. I don't know if I can pay you. Can I go in the rears on this? I cannot pay the increase. What am I going to do about the furniture and the heating and the plumbing? The bills keep flowing in, and all you're asking for is the right to compete, and there's no reason for it. Do you know it's 0.6-something percent in terms of positive tests? We are fine. The CDC on Friday said there's no longer reason to quarantine when you come to New York. So when I see that, if that is true, this is what I do today. If I own a restaurant, okay, enough of the bills. Here are the keys. I'm giving them back to the landlord because I'm not using any PPP loan to pay my employees not to come to work because I can't pay you for the next five months not to come to a restaurant that is mothballed and they're right. acting like it's about the customer. What about the owner and the waiters and the waitresses and the cooks? Right, right. Look, I agree with you 100%, but I don't understand why Bill de Blasio is doing this. Okay, I know he's never run a business in his life. I understand that the man is a socialist on the far left, but that doesn't explain why, as the mayor of New York City, he appears to be deliberately running it into the ground. I don't know why he's doing this. Lazy. They asked him to come up with a school plan, how to get the kids back to school. He handed it to the governor. The governor's like, this is barely an outline. He had six months to come up with the how to bring your kids back to school. The unions say, I can't believe this is what you came up with. I mean, you don't even put arrows on the ground. There's no plan in place. He's a lazy guy that's being called out because you need somebody that cares, cares about a business. And when he told the billionaires and millionaires, if you don't come back, we'll just get others. Oh, they're going to come back. That shows me he has no clue what a tax base is built on. No clue whatsoever. Uh, Next one. Comedian Jerry Seinfeld roasting a hedge fund manager, James Altucher, who had appeared on this program saying that New York City is dead forever. While Jerry Seinfeld comes back and says New York City is not dead forever. What do you think, Brian? Well, he goes used to an example. You look at telemedicine, telecommuting, and the Goldman Sachs and the, and the big businesses, the financial district, and others, and Chase Manhattan are going, I don't really need my people here. I don't need to rent from these expensive businesses. I don't need the commercial real estate anymore. My people are effective working at home. Seinfeld comes back and says, no, we need to meet people. We need to interact. We need that energy, and that'll happen again. I don't know. The other thing, Silicon Valley, they, they continue to go to work even though they got the great technology. They could do that from home, but they come together to collaborate. That's Seinfeld's argument. Now, I'm, it's tough on me with Seinfeld because I, my first job was for his dad, and I'm from the same town, even though I've never met him, and he's a little bit taller and he's funnier. But I would say this, Jerry, as witty, as insightful, and as hopeful as your column is, you are out in the Hamptons. You are a business. He owns Stand Up New York, where there is no business. He's got a rent. He's got a lease. He's looking around, and everyone has left the residence, and the businesses are not there. And he's never seen this before. And that's what expressed on your interview. And he says, these people aren't coming back. And when I walk from 48th to uh, 34th every day to get a train, 
I am the only one in a suit. I see mentally ill people, and I see people just walking around with nothing to do. There's this city as looks like it's yeah. never looked before. Will it come it's- back? I'm not Nostradamus, but I will say this is not something we've experienced before. And that's Agreed. what that business owner is saying to you, Stuart. And that was his Agreed. point. I'm glad you got it off your chest, Brian, because I, I, feel feel exact- I feel exactly the same way. I really do. What a shame. Brian, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Stuart. All right, let's go, uh, let's go to the phones right now. Vicki is listening on the app in Florida. Hey, Vicki. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. What I wanted to mention was I haven't heard any of the news shows comment on the young woman representing or against the teachers unions last night. And as I told you, screener, that the schools are the breeding grounds for the kind of negative thought that is rampant in the Democrat Party. I thought she did a stellar job and I thought she deserved a nod from uh, the prominent um, news sources. Absolutely. And, and school is such an important part of this. You mean the president of the United States is trying to push us to open responsibly. Hey, this is how you do it. Figure out a way. And now Joe Biden says, no, I'll lock down if I if I if I'm told by the scientists, we'll just do this again. We've got to get control of the virus. No, you don't go to war because your generals tell you to. You don't have they have to go through you. I didn't elect a scientist to run the country. I elected a president to run the country. Exactly. One minute, the number one story is the economy. The next minute, uh, it is war and peace. The next minute, it's defense. The next minute, it's a hurricane. I don't want to turn it over to whoever, the meteorologist, to decide how I should respond to a hurricane. That's why we elected you. Joe Biden sitting with a mask in his basement is not responsible. That's a lack of leadership. That's a guy who's scared to come out for his own safety and because he wants to be anti-Trump. Jay is listening Indiana. Thank you. Jay. Hey, uh, Brian. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Hey, um, love the show, too, but... When do you think the American people are going to actually start seeing this for what it is with COVID and now it's become so political? And then you have the post office gig now that they're trying to, you know, basically run this guy through the mud. And I will say this. I'm looking at independents and undecideds. That will decide this election. But I think this is becoming clear. Three more days like this, they'll make a lot of progress. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Get ready for the latest hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show from New York and heard around the country, around the world. Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour, former mayor of New York. Rudy Giuliani, and now a lawyer for the president who's negotiating the debate details, the three debates. He's going to be with us shortly. And, of course, you, one 408 7669 The first lady's making some comments today, but tonight she'll be speaking. And uh, she'll be one of the speakers I look forward to seeing because she's got the ability to go at Michelle Obama and all these people. Female critics of the president as a female first lady. And one line I would love to see delivered in some way, shape, or form if she's comfortable is when Michelle Obama says, you're not up for the job, uh, you can't do it, you fall short. Oh, with everything that she said and Barack Obama witnessed, uh, the president can't do the job, he's shown he can't do the job, he can't step into the job. I love her to say, my husband had to do the job because you didn't. And if Barack Obama wants to, he is an inspirational figure, he's a great speaker, a wonderful 
personal story. But after eight years, America was so pleased, they turned it over to a inexperienced president, a, Repu- a Republican Senate, and a Republican House. That was his legacy. And he gave it and anointed his former Secretary of State for the job, and she couldn't get it, even though we campaigned for it. So acting like he's some uh, the next incarnation of Ronald Reagan or Dwight Eisenhower or JFK is not accurate. And, and I think that Melania Trump is uniquely qualified to go after uh, Michelle Obama. I would love to see that tonight. What about you? one 408 Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What is the cost of a first-class postage stamp? 55 cents. Just wanted to check. What about to mail a postcard? I don't I don't know, ma'am. You don't know the cost to mail a postcard. <laughs> I don't. Katie Porter going at the Postmaster General. Mail and voting mayhem. The House hearing with the Postmaster was a mix of incompetence and anger and unhinged comment from Speaker Pelosi. Shows how Trump has helped her lose her mind and sense of decency. The takeaways for me are coming your way. Number two. And as Rachel reflected, some of the real American people that you're seeing have been people who are are disgraced, not people that people rally around like the St. Louis couple or the young man from Cuff Cath who interacted with the elder Native American in D.C. Predictably, Dems show their disdain and the Republic, for the Republican National Convention, but astute observers are seeing the divide from within the Democratic Party. Just look at their party platform from 2020. Over 1,000 delegates voted against it, 3,000 for it. That is a divide. Why? Because the platform was not liberal, progressive, or radical enough. Number one. Our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. And that's why I believe the next American century can be better than the last. Day, day one of a four-day extravaganza at the RNC. Well, day one's in the books. I label it as strong on themes and high on production quality. Republicans correct the record on race, guns, and accomplishments with coronavirus as well, while Trump absorbs a blizzard of attacks and challenges from his friends, family, and foes. So we've got a few minutes here. I'll try to take some calls. But this is what I'm talking about, that I am seeing coming at the president like no other president before. I mean, just look. You have the normal things, the coronavirus. You have two hurricanes about to hit our shore. Challenges for the president and for Americans, obviously. Then with the shutdown, lockdown, that is still not fully opened up, we're seeing economic disadvantages like I've never seen in my lifetime interrupting everybody's lifestyle. So you look at that. And still, the president, according to the Wall Street Journal uh, NBC poll, is in a better place among undecided voters. Undecided voters, 22 percent have a positive image of the president. Eleven percent have a positive image of Biden. Independent voters, who would you vote for today, were asked. Forty-seven percent Trump, 37 percent Biden, five percent not sure. But in terms of uh, the president having headwinds, they really have not much to do with him, just the people around him. I'll give you an example. Uh, in the uh, Politico yesterday, Melania Trump's comments about Trump family were taped. So this Stephanie Winston Walkoff was her former assistant. They had a fallout, and she ended up got an exorbitant amount of money to produce uh, the inaugural ball. So they ended up breaking up. I have no idea the details, but evidently Melania Trump 
had some negative things to say about our family and the president's family. Uh, and they plan on going out, coming out in a book, uh, in a forthcoming book, Melania and Me, The Rise and Fall of My Friendship with the First Lady, which was published by Simon & Schuster. Also, uh, so that's not going to be good. I mean, Melania Trump obviously and the president have had some issues. I imagine. I imagine when you have a blended family, not every blend happens smoothly. Also, you got Michael Cohen's book called Disloyal. Obviously, he's got huge axes to grind. Wrote his book in prison. Blames president for his being in prison. Although, whatever he told the Mueller report and everybody else didn't really pan out. Brian Stelter's got a book out called Hoax about Fox News, and it has stuff about Trump in there. Bob Woodward's newest book, Rage, about them. Mike Schmidt of the New York Times. Donald Trump versus the United States of America. Reuters reports now the New York Attorney General has filed a lawsuit against the Trump Organization. Waited for today, yesterday, to file it. The complaint against the Trump Organization and defendants was filed with New York uh, in Manhattan, actually, on Friday, but made public yesterday. A copy of the complaint was not immediately available, but his subject matter is, did the Trump Organization inflate its worth in order to get loans? Eric Trump is listed as a defendant because he's running the company now. His comment is telling, quote, how can I ever possibly trust the legitimacy of a subpoena sent by someone who publicly campaigned on taking down my father and using her office to harass our family? She has called the president's presidency illegitimate. This type of targeting and harassment violates every ethical guideline of a prosecutor, and it is wrong. No kidding. And other things, like losing Kellyanne Conway, not easy for the president. Obviously, his family first. I get it. Jerry Falwell's been a big supporter. Obviously, uh, he's got huge issues right now, personal and professional. And he's a very power, you know, powerful guy. The president had in his corner, but he's not going to be in anybody's corner for a while. So the president's got some big headwinds. He also has a problem with mail-in voting, as do I. If you have an absentee ballot, uh, ballot and you applied for it, fine. You don't want to go you don't, because of coronavirus, fine. Apply for it. Get it in the mail. My worry is places like that aren't used to it, like Colorado and Oregon are, places like New Jersey and Nevada. They're not ready for it. They don't they haven't updated their roles. We heard Governor Christian Friday said, I tried to update the voter rolls. I was not successful. And neither is Governor Murphy. He has no idea what he's doing. Do you know last election, 300,000 plus ballots were discarded? Not worthy, not done right. This primary election, 500,000. 574,000. Why would anyone feel confident? Yet, when it came to the general hearing yesterday on the Postmaster General, all they wanted to do was attack this guy. Because the president says, I don't have trust in the postal system to be able to deliver this volume of mail all of a sudden. Listen to this. Cut 41. This is Congressman Jim Cooper, a Democrat. How dare you disenfranchise so many voters when you told the Senate committee just last week that you had a sacred duty to protect election mail? You know that it's a felony for a postal service officer or employee to delay delivery of mail. A postal employee can be fined or imprisoned for up to five years for delaying the mail, but somehow you can delay all the mail and get away with it. They can be prosecuted, but you can't, even if your actions are a million times worse. Mr. DeJoy, do you have a duty to obey U.S. law like every other American? I do, sir. Unbelievable. Here's more from this genius. Cut 40. Do your mail delays fit Trump's campaign goal of hurting the post office, as stated in his tweets? 
I'm are not, your mail I'm delays not, implicit gonna, campaign I'm contributions? These types of questions. I'm here. I'm here to represent the postal service. It has nothing to do with all my actions have to do with improvement into the postal service. May this. Am I the only one in this room that understands that we have a ten billion dollar a year loss? Right. Am I the only will, one in this room will you that give this committee, OIG reports Will you that give this committee up? your communications with Mark Meadows, with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, Go with the President? Mr. DeJoy, is your backup plan to be pardoned like Roger Stone? Oh, God. <laughs> you have two seconds to answer the question. I have no comments on that. Are you embarrassed? You go to the postmaster. This guy's a multimillionaire. He's a systems expert. I don't even know why he wanted the job, but he takes it and he has to deal with this crap. When we all know there's a legitimate issue, Joe Biden should be just as upset as the president when a state like New Jersey, which is blue, is going to all of a sudden decide to go with blue, go with mailing everybody a ballot. And it's not just about the presidency. It's about the Senate. It's about the House, obviously. Jeff Van Drew won slightly as a Democrat. He's in a Republican district, but they're going after him hard now. Don't you think that he wants every ballot counted? And because somebody asked for an ID for a ballot, it does not mean you're racist. It means you just want to make sure it's you. I kind of like the idea of bringing an ID. No one asked me for it. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Rudy Giuliani. And then we'll talk to Brett Baer and then get your calls in the order in which they were received. So don't move. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. I thought the Republican convention last night was very good, an 8 out of 10. And it could be better tonight. So many great speeches, so much talent, and they kept it moving without a live audience. Not easy. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. These next four days are supposed to be more optimistic. He has been painting a fairly apocalyptic picture. Not quite my definition of upbeat and optimistic. It has been a lot of red meat, not so much optimism and hope. We are broadcasting this, of course, by choice. However, it is our responsibility to not unquestioningly broadcast potentially dangerous misinformation, especially of the medical variety. Right. Rachel Maddow is always looking out for me. Just an idea of what other channels were doing while the Republican uh, kicked off their RNC, the Republican National Convention, which I thought was an awesome uh, day one and three more coming, including tonight, which one of the featured speakers is one of my guests, Eric Trump. Thursday will be Rudy Giuliani. Together, they join us. Uh, Mr. Mayor, Eric Trump, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Well, thank you. Thank you. Great to be on. Well, I really should credit the mayor. The mayor booked you, Eric, so you're really his guest. He was, he was, he was, uh, I found him hanging around the Trump Hotel. Can you imagine that? I had no uh, idea. We were, we were, we were eating, <laughs> eating pancakes together, Brian. You know, it's, it was, and they were he's good, weren't they, Mr. Mayor? Absolutely, and he's going to speak tonight. Right. So, Eric, give us an idea of what you're going to be focusing on. you got a lot of different things, plus you got a, different themes throughout the week. Yeah, well, listen. If you if you look at the the DNC last week, right? I mean, it was it was a very unpatriotic. There's no American flags. I mean, just I just hope people key in on the backdrop for tonight. I mean, certainly key in on the words, but I just want people to see the ba- backdrop. What what our party represents, and you know, Mr. Mayor knows this better than anybody. Uh, but you know, it's red, white, and blue, and and so much of the theme is about that. What it means to be an American. Uh, what it means to have free speech. What it means to have a Second Amendment right. What it means to have 
God in our lives and be able to use that word. I mean, you saw, you know, them try to strip out under under God in the Pledge of Allegiance during the DNC. And, um, you know, my speech really hits home. Obviously, you know, there's not too many people in the world that are closer to the president than, than I am. He's my best friend. You know, I love him dearly. He entrusts me in a lot of things. And, um, you know, so I can bring kind of the family side to uh, to the relationship and who he is as a person. And um, it's going to be an awesome night. Last night was uh, was an incredible night. The speakers were, were incredible. And, um, you know, uh, tonight's going to be another great night. And, um, you know, Mr. Mayor is going to have a great night on Thursday. Yeah, Rudy, I, I guess when I think about the last night, I think about the when people talk personally, when Congressman Jordan says, you know, the president was on the phone with me as my nephew died in a car accident, and then he spoke to the whole family. I speak about Tim Scott, who talked about meeting with the president one-on-one in the Oval Office with other people that have been victims of law enforcement shootings, and no cameras are around. And then when people are able to talk about what kind of person he is, like Herschel Walker, when he's able to be nice and kind to waiters and janitors, who's the guy you know? Well, he's, he, I mean, I've seen that for 30 years. Uh, one of the things I relate in my speech, when I first came to the campaign in, in uh, 16, I traveled with him, you know, for three, four straight months. And we would finish, I mean, he would, he's a brutal campaigner. I mean, we'd finish at 9, 10, 11, 12. All the kids would be tired. And it never failed. If there were police officers, you know, waiting, yeah. he'd, he'd walk all across the tarmac. He'd go over, he'd shake hands with every single one of them. You take a picture with every single one of them. There were no cameras around. There's nobody to report it to. And he did it as a reflex because he has this inherent love of people who are in uniform, which reflects his love of America. I believe last night conveyed for the first time since Ronald Reagan, a American president. I'm not saying the other presidents didn't love America, but it displayed a president who can show his love of America. And it's not embarrassed or ashamed of it or right. a little uncomfortable about it. You know, some people are, are uncomfortable. They can be wonderful people, but they're uncomfortable with public displays of affection. He's certainly comfortable with public displays of affection for how much he loves this country. Right. And that was Ronald Reagan, which is, I think, what made him a great president. And I think that's one of the things that makes Donald Trump a great president. Mm-hmm. This is coming out of love. It's not coming out of anything else. And it comes he out of be doing a lot. Right. He, could, he could be doing, as Eric knows, a lot more profitable things that are a lot easier on him than what he's doing. Eric, uh, I'll tell you what, too. You know, he talked about the, the amount of people around him that have paid a legal price. Now they're coming after your company again. Uh, the Trump Organization, which you're running now as the executive vice president, they yeah, actually with, named with you phony, as a defendant. A AG. And this AG, which you say is pure politics because she's already said the president's an illegitimate president. What could you tell us about that uh, without getting yourself in legal jeopardy? Are you guys going to comply with this investigation? You know, Brian, so so first it was obviously Russia, and then it was Ukraine, and then it was Kavanaugh, and then it's you know, every single day something else. I mean, I'm probably the most subpoenaed person in the history of the world. And, you know, you, you have an attorney general in New York um, who detests my father. She actually runs the Democratic Attorney Generals for Joe Biden. Uh, you know, she she runs that, that whole organization. But she campaigned on taking my father down. So before she even entered her office, you know, she, she – and, and, and by the way, she stupidly puts this in, in, in clips, right? It's, it's, it's online. She fundraised off of it, which, frankly, is illegal. I mean, it's, it's totally legal, but I'm going to take the president down. He's going to know my name. Uh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to sue his ass off. Um, you know, I'm coming after him. I'm coming after his family. I'm coming. And she's saying this, Brian. I mean, listen, you might have prosecutors, and, you know, uh, you, you see the weaponization of, of the DOJ over, and you see what the FBI did, and you see what other people did, the highest levels of government. I mean, this is unfortunately the world that. You know, we now live in and as, as, as 
you know, having somebody that's obviously commander in chief in our family, but she's literally doing this on like camera phone video. She's saying, I'm going to get him. I'm going to take him down. She did that before she even got into office. I right. mean, that, that's so how are you worried? She, no, not, 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 not at all. Not at all. And uh, first of all, I think she, she needs to recuse herself. I mean, I really do. And, um, I think, uh, the ethical violations in doing what she's doing is, 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 is truly horrible. And, you know, the question is, you know, why, why would you, why would you possibly comply? Why would you possibly, um, you know, speak to somebody who, who literally campaigned on, on taking out your family, taking out your father? By the way, Brian, this isn't about me. It's just about my father, right? She campaigned on taking right. down a man, you know, and, and this, unfortunately, is what we have to live through every day. I mean, you know, Mr. Gotcha. Mayor Rudy, he, he did a phenomenal job during, you know, the impeachment nonsense and the Ukraine and everything else. I mean, he knows this system better than anybody. And, um, you know, he probably knows her better than anybody. But it's uh, it's sad that we have to deal with this, but it right. is what it is. And, um, mm. you know, we will win like we've won all the other ones. And, and um, you know, this yeah, is our lives. I'm against a heartbreak. Mr. Mayor, when can we hear you on the radio? You can hear me at between 3 and 4 today on 77 WABC. And let me tell you about Letitia James, because I know her for a Real quick, 20 seconds. Time. Okay, well, th- this woman is a disgrace to prosecutors. You don't run as a hitman for a particular person. I've never heard of that. It's got to be completely unethical, and she should be removed as, a, as an AG. You don't well, say, oh, I hear you. if you were like me, I'm going to put Brian Kilmeade in prison. No, you better not for say no that. Reason. But if you take on a Trump, you better be ready for a fight. <laughs> Thanks, Rudy. Thanks, Eric. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Democrats started their convention last week with Eva Longoria a famous Hollywood actress who played a housewife on TV. Well, I'm actually a real housewife and a mom from Michigan with two wonderful kids in public school who happens to be the only, only the second woman in 164 years to run the Republican Party. And unlike Joe Biden, President Trump didn't choose me because I'm a woman. He chose me because I was the best person for the job. So they wanted to make a dissemination. I want to get, get things in life by merit. And he also, the president, not a bad guy. Uh, that was the message. Also, Republicans, not the party of just white men. That's what we saw with the uh, appearance of Senator Tim Scott, of course, uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley and more. A man that brought us that perspective immediately was Brett Baer, the pre and post game show and the Doring show. Brett, welcome back. Hey, bro. Hey, Brett, what do you think? the Republicans learn from the Democratic convention by looking at day one? Well, I think they um, picked you know, some things as far as the, the pre-taped pre-production. I, I think um, they looked at some of those videos and and talked about it. I did a little bit more live um, speeches, and I think they they inserted some more regular people. Um, and their stories about how the Trump administration's policies affect them day to day. Um, I think you could not ask for a, 
a better night one uh, for the varied voices and also kind of the strength of the message, I thought. It, it, um, it was strung together well, I think, from Herschel Walker, who had a, a personal story about Donald Trump, um, to uh, – you know the the doctor who fought COVID uh, personally uh, to uh, the Cuban exile who talked about socialism and and the concern he has. I think you know messaging wise, it was a pretty strong night for the RNC. I also thought too the news stories. Uh, the McCoskeys were a news story, and the president embraced their story. Can you defend your property from a incoming mob who will come to your house uh, and break down your fence? And then Andrew Pollack. Uh, what do we learn from the horrific school shooting that had his daughter shot multiple times? And what was it like with the cameras running around with the president? Here's a little of Andrew Pollack, actually Long Island born, but who lived in Florida, cut 16. After my daughter's murder, the media didn't seem interested in the facts. So I found them myself. I learned that gun control laws didn't fail my daughter. People did. The gunman had threatened to kill his classmates before. He had threatened to rape them. He had threatened to shoot up the school. Every red flag you could imagine. But the school didn't just miss these red flags. They knowingly ignored them. Far-left Democrats in our school district made this shooting possible because they implemented something they called restorative justice. This policy, which really just blames teachers for students' failures, puts kids and teachers at risk and makes shootings more likely. And he talked about him when, he, when, I, when I went and talked to him, told him my story. The guy listens, and he acts. I thought that was a counter-narrative to this job is too big for him, too hard for him. He's not living up to it, which was basically what Barack Obama and Michelle Obama were saying. You know, I've talked about this for a long time uh, in different ways, different times. But I look at it like an iceberg, you know, and we cover the – the iceberg that's above the water, and it's the controversy, it's the tweets, it's the reaction to the day of story, and it's a iceberg above the water. But below the water is a huge iceberg that we don't see today, but it's happening. And so that is is kind of what I took from some of those speakers. In other words, there's stuff being done, even though the controversy of the day, and you may not hear it in the media. The iceberg below the water is significant, and they're going to point it all out to you. Absolutely. From Melania Trump, there's a book coming out from a former staffer that says the Melania Trump, you know, why that friendship ended. She's going to talk about salacious things that Melania has told her about her family. Having all that in the backdrop and that about to hit the press, much like Mary Trump's book hit the president, what do you think that leads to in terms of the content of her speech tonight? I don't know. I don't know how um, the speech is going to be put together. I do know, you know, she's a powerful voice inside the White House. She has a lot of influence with her husband, um, and she's kind of been doing her own um, activities about be best and and those sort of things. Um, when she engages, um, she can be very powerful as a speaker. I mean, she's. Obviously, has the accident, and she delivers slowly. But she is, you know, she's delivered powerful speeches before. So I think uh, I, I don't know what the overall message is going to be with what she's trying to do day to day. 
Yeah, it was going to be interesting because last time they accused her, she delivered a great speech, and they said it was Michelle Obama's. And I'm wondering if that's going to come up again today. At least people should uh, ask their brain room uh, to make sure no one said this speech already. Yeah, I think they'll, they'll triple check. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're under the the microscope. Not only because it's uh, you know a re-election, but also because she's delivering from the Rose Garden. Okay, let's just look at the lineup tonight. Uh, Rand Paul's going to be speaking. That's an interesting choice. And so will the Secretary of State from Israel. That's causing raising some eyebrows. Why? Well, traditionally, the Secretaries of State uh, have not addressed the convention. In fact, it's never happened. And um, it's diplomacy uh, is taken out. Uh, you could talk about foreign policy and foreign policy decisions, but the person doing it is usually not a political person. So um, they've said they've gone through all kinds of hoops with the council and uh, the Hatch Act and everything else, uh, and that it's he's cleared to go and what he's going to say. Um, and they claim that you know the trip was not designed to have him in Israel. They would have rather had him in Washington, but he's that's where he is. All right, uh, Brett, bear with us for a few more minutes. He's going to be on for about 20 hours, so I don't want to take too much of his time. But the other big story is the mail-in voting. And just to be clear, absentee voting, you need a request. Brett Baer doesn't feel comfortable going out because of the virus or he had it already. He wants to apply for a ballot. I get it. The president's policy uh, problem is when you just decide unilaterally as a governor, you are just going to mail everybody a ballot. And if you show up, it's provisional. I want everyone to mail it in. He doesn't believe the post office is ready. He doesn't believe the states are ready. I asked Governor Christie about New Jersey because this Governor Murphy said, I'm doing it. And here's what Governor Christie said. We don't want a bunch of ballots floating around out there, Brian, because in close states, that could really lead to a, a bad result. Governor, doesn't he know that? Of course he does. So why is he of doing it? He because it gives, he believes it may give an advantage in a state like New Jersey to his party because there's a million more Democrats than Republicans in New Jersey. And if you actually send people a ballot, whether they've asked for it or not, he says we've always had vote by mail. Well, yes, we've had vote by mail, no fault absentee, where if you want to vote by mail, you have to make a request to the county clerk in writing with your signature. And then and only then do they send you a ballot. And he went on to say he tried to clean up the voter rolls. He couldn't do it. They were too complicated. It's taken Oregon five years to get ready. Washington, five years to get this ready. You can't get this done in two months. No, listen, this is the whole thing. If you've done it before for years and years, yes, it's fun. You've got the logistics. You do it. Starting because of COVID this year, a few months before, government doesn't work well anyway to begin with. You add something as challenging logistically as this, uh, it's really not going to do well. I think the post office thing is really overblown. I mean, the post office handles 471 million pieces of mail every day, 471 million every day. If they can handle 120 million ballots over a month, I don't think that's going to be a problem. And the postmaster general said essentially that, um, and I, that would be overblown as far as the concerns about that. Brad, uh, when can we see you uh, today? So I'll be on Dana's show, The Daily Briefing, kind of do a, a review of last night. Um, got some uh, 
radio stuff through the day, and then uh, we do 6 o'clock special report. I'm going to have uh, Kevin McCarthy on, the House Minority Leader, uh, and we may get uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, both sides. So there Great. you go. What are you wearing? I think I'm going to go with a blue suit, I'm pretty sure, uh-huh. and see either a red or blue tie. I mean, there's many options, Brian, but that's what I'm Could you let us know how this decision takes place and maybe tweet about it? <laughs> I will. All right, great. <laughs> Fred Fair, thanks so much. He's wearing a blue suit. We broke some news. Run with that on .com. Thanks, Brett. Uh, we come back. Your phone call is one 408 Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let's just make it clear. We are here. Let's both you calm down. This is it. We we brought you up for one reason to talk about night one and preview night two if we had the time. No one brought you up to talk about uh, not acknowledging existence. We're talking about night one, how you interpret it, it's night one, how you interpret it. Yeah. So I don't know no, how it got off the rails. You're the shameful one, Tammy. Right. You're the shameful She's one because nobody I shameful. They're all, you're is, both offered yeah. analysis. Thank you very much. Next yeah. time, but so this, wake this up is what someone, happens. You will not erase yeah. my what history. We'll talk about night. We're going to be talking about this. Is what this is what? All right, that's not going well. All right. Not, not too sure if anyone benefited from that. Yeah. More Fox and Friends in just a moment. That was going to happen on Fox and Friends. It uh, seems to be causing such hoopla. I've never been so ignored in, in my own interview before. Just, and I don't control the audio. And I'm saying to myself, this is, we're also talking about race. So I don't want to be, uh, in my mind, I'm going to make sure both sides get heard, but they're both talking over each other. And it's not like they're responding to me. So. It was five minutes, and my thing is, I really think Donna Brazil was the one who was off base in that she was able to talk about what she saw. Tammy Bruce was able to talk about what she saw, and then Donna Brazil says, you're ignoring 400 years of oppression in America, and that's when all hell broke loose. Well, two things. One, I think you were more entertained by it listen, listening back to it now. Right, you got to chuckle. But two, for me, watching you trying to referee it and your facial expressions and just Trying to interject, it was, I mean, it was a frustrating listen, right. but it was entertaining to watch you try to referee it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so ignored. I mean, the ultimate third wheel. Like, people say, you know, I feel like a third wheel. I was the, I was the unnecessary wheel. So that I was the third ego? wheel on a two-wheel scooter. <laughs> <laughs> or the, uh, the wheel that didn't work on a shopping cart. Uh, Jay is listening in North Carolina. Hey, Jay. Brian, you got ambushed. Donna Brazil, she knew what she was doing. And she what she's doing is she's keep carrying yeah. the Democrat message that Tammy Bruce or the Republicans don't include people. And she proved it because that's what the Democrats do. They twist people's words. So but Jay, I, I, I see what you mean. I, I, I see what you mean. I wouldn't say ambush. This is what I thought. We were talking about one thing. Both sides weighed in on the diversity of the cast the Republicans brought out, right? And he goes, we don't really listen to Herschel Walker. I, why don't you listen to Herschel Walker? I have no idea. And then when she decided that Republicans look like a diverse party with Nikki Haley and Herschel Walker and Tim Scott, and she, and as well as 
as as well as the congresswoman, the the aspirational congresswoman from Baltimore, as well as the Democratic Vernon Jones from the Democrat Black African American from Atlanta. She realized she was losing that argument, so she just started talking about ignoring 400 years of oppression, which I don't I don't get. But I think the people at home are smarter than that. They don't need to yeah, be told yeah. what to think. Like you figured it out. So, you know, and Tammy Bruce didn't say anything to offend her. So I don't even know what she was talking about. But um, well, I appreciate. Well, maybe it. the word ambush is not correct, but she, you know, when she she's a Democrat and this is her wheelhouse, and when things aren't going their way, like you said, that's they pull that card out and they just try to steer away from the message that it was positive of what the second or the first day of the right. RNC was about. I will say when the camera's not on, I get along with Donna great. But I think that Donna Brazile, after writing that book, that called out every Democrat and Hillary Clinton as a horrible candidate, is looking to win back, uh, get back into the good graces of the Democratic hierarchy. And by going on Fox and by saying these things, she feels like she's doing it. But I don't think she is. Uh, Jody, listening in Virginia. Hey, Jody. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Brian, thank you for taking my call. I love your show. Thank my you. wife and I, we watch you on Fox and Friends every day. Appreciate it. Uh, look, my point was I'm a 47-year-old man. I've grown up in southwest Virginia. I've seen racism. I know what racists look like. I don't believe that racism is widespread these days, and I can't tell you how offended I am to be called a racist just because I support Donald Trump. And I, and think, I just yeah. feel like the Dems can't tell us what they have done or what they will do. They just scream racist. Well, I'll and give you an idea. The first time that I remember that being a, a party issue, you know, publicly after the 60s, obviously, was right. when George Bush, after Katrina, Kanye West hops on that telethon and says, George Bush doesn't like black people. And I thought, what? Right. Where did that come from? It doesn't like black yeah. people. He, You know, basically it was— a series of responses that were didn't suffice, leading to Katrina being so much more powerful. Obviously, I never thought race was an issue. But well, George, then all of a sudden, next thing you know, people are saying race is an issue. Or why there wasn't more, uh, more help given to New Orleans as opposed to Florida. So that was the first time. And then when President Obama, when you became critical of President Obama, they said, well, you don't want a black president to be successful. Really? I don't know. Did Newt Gingrich not want Bill Clinton to be successful because he was white? So I don't know how race became into this, but it's it's not reflective of, I think, this generation in 2020. I think it's disproportionate focus. What happened in Wisconsin, it looks like law enforcement on first blush, from what I've seen on tape, overreacted. Seven shots in the back with his kids in the back. He's now paralyzed. It looks, from an outside perspective, no investigation and overreaction. But why does that swamp 54 shot in Chicago Countless dead in New York, the daily barrage of riots in Portland, mostly white and black and beating each other up. No one cares about that, but they care about this. Then they say, well, here's your epidemic. I think your epidemic is different than it's being defined. I just find it very hurtful. I just I, I don't know. I just looks like there would be something else to say. But that it, I just uh, right. It, I'll put it this way, the Republicans are doing a good job uh, by just speaking their, their, their – telling their story. Herschel Walker's right. story of 37-year friendship with Donald Trump, who originally was the owner of the generals in which he starred, 
They had no reason to keep that relationship up. And as I said before, and Herschel said, when Donald Trump was going through a divorce, he wanted his kids out of out of the New York media spotlight. He wanted them away. So he called one person, Herschel Walker in Georgia. And Herschel said, do you mind if I take him to Disney? And he took him to Disney. Herschel didn't want to bring up the first part for obvious reasons. And then when Trump said, you know, I'm not doing anything. Could I join you over the weekend? And he joins him over the weekend. That's the guy he knows. And then you're turning around and you're telling him he's a racist. And that's what he mean. He used the same term you just used. Uh, and that is hurtful. It's going to be an exciting night, too. I thought night one was very, very interesting. Hopefully more news comes out of this. Uh, and then we can't wait to see what happens uh, later with the, uh, if there is a bounce at the Republican convention. There was none from the Dems. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.